Hello, friends. My name is Vito, and I'm really glad to get to be here with you right now. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from the book of Hebrews, and uh, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at it together. So we're going to look at a passage from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. He's given it to us because he loves us. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth now and the meditation of all of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, and would you use this time to draw us closer to you? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This summer, my family and I had the incredible privilege of being able to spend quite a bit of time in Italy. And it seemed that every town that we went to, the food was even better than the last place that we had been. As we traveled around, we finally got to this place called the Piedmont region, which we found out upon arrival was basically one of the centers of agriculture, of food and winemaking. And we have some friends there. One of my friends, his name is Ula. We were talking about how wonderful the food was there. He's lived all over the world, and so he has a breadth of experience about um, food. And he said to me, you know, living here is amazing, but you know where you can get the very best tomatoes in the whole world? And I thought he was going to say Tuscany or another place in Italy or somewhere else. You know where he said? He said New Jersey. That's right. That's right. He said the heirloom tomatoes in New Jersey in the fall, there's nothing any better you can get. And I thought, man, I'm proud to be from that area, you know. You all should be proud too. Those are your gardens. They're your farms where these beautiful fruits and vegetables are being grown. I walk through the New York City farmer's markets in the fall, and it's just amazing to see these tables laden down with all the corn and shallots and tomatoes and the nine different kinds of peppers and the 12 different kinds of greens. And if you see it with the right eyes, when you look at all those fruits and vegetables laid out before you, do you know what you're looking at? Those are all miracles. Each one of those fruits and vegetables is a miracle. That's really what's going on there. And if you think about it in that way, and I think it's the right way to think about it, you can begin to see how a miracle happens. I know that miracles are supposed to be inexplicable to natural or scientific law, but if you think about those fruits and vegetables as miracles, you can have an idea of how a miracle happens in your life. The first thing is, is that a miracle requires intention. You have to want it to happen and you have to actually go make it happen. That farmer who grew that wonderful tomato that we've all been eating had to get up early in April, and I know it's April because I looked it up on the Farmer's Almanac online, 
had to get up some early morning in April and go and plant the seeds for that tomato that would come to harvest in September. He had to go out. He actually had to make it happen. He couldn't just want that fruit to grow. He actually had to do something about it. It took intention. It also takes wisdom for a miracle to happen. Because if you're going to be a good farmer, if you're going to grow great tomatoes, then you've got to find out what the people around you have been doing. There's a farmer down the road, and she's been doing it longer than you have, and so you've got to go talk to her, and you've got to look up what's going on on Farmer's Almanac, and you have to buy books. You need wisdom outside of yourself. You can't do things just the way that you've always done them. You actually have to go out and find wisdom. Miracles also take diligence. You can't just go out that first day. You've got to go out day after day and week after week. You have to pull weeds. You have to apply fertilizer. You have to defend from predators. In order for a miracle to happen, in order for the fruit to grow, you have to be out there day after day and you have to work for it. You have to be diligent. And because you're going to be so diligent, you also have to have patience for a miracle to happen. Because day after day, you're going to be out there and you're not going to see many results from what you're doing. You're not going to see things happening overnight because it takes time for fruit to grow. And so you have to have patience. You have to wait. And because you're going to do all that waiting and you're not going to see much growth, the last thing that a miracle requires is hope. You have to believe that there's going to be something there that wasn't there before. You have to have hope that that scrawny little plant of May is going to blossom and have a big fat tomato on it in September. So that's what is required for a miracle. That's what you have to have. You have to have intention and diligence and patience and hope, all of those things. And you know another word for all of those things is cultivation. That's what a farmer does to make fruit grow. And even my putting it that way isn't quite right because a farmer doesn't make fruit grow. God makes fruit grow. God is the one through his love and his power and his presence that makes fruit grow. But a farmer has to participate. A farmer has to do those things, those diligent works all throughout the year. And that's called cultivation. And it's the same thing in your life as a disciple of Jesus. If you want to see the fruit of the spirit of Jesus grow in your life, you have to cultivate it. You're not the one that will make it grow. You're not the one that will make it come up. Only God can do that. It's a free gift that comes from him. Everything that God gives us is by his grace. It's his love. It's his free gift to us. But if you want to see those fruits grow up in your life, you're going to have to cultivate them. Because you and I both know that oftentimes what grows up in our life, the fruit that we bear is often not what we want it to be. We may be Christians and we may have in our minds God's love for us, God's care for us. We may have the things that we know that God is calling us to, but then a conversation happens and we're suddenly saying something that we wish we hadn't. And days elapse and we're not doing the things that we wish we would. And we see evidence in our lives where the things that we believe in our minds are not the things that are coming out of us. The fruit that we're bearing is something else. And if we want to see God's fruit born in our life, we are going to have to cultivate it. And one of the ways you can look at that is I'm going to go back to one of those verses that we just read, Hebrews 10, verse 24. And this can kind of be a byword, I think, for us today. I wonder if you might write this verse down, put it on your refrigerator or by your bed so you could look at it. I want us to think about what this verse says about how we can cultivate the things that God wants you and I to cultivate in our lives. 
Chapter 10, verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We should consider, this passage says, how to do it. How can we stir one another up to love and good works? Because that's what a church should do. We should be stirring one another up to love and good works. And whether you are a Christian or not, I am certain that you believe that you need those two things in your life. You need love and you need good works. I know that you need love in your life. You need more love than you're getting now. You need God's love in your life in an infinite way. And you need the love of the people around you. You need it. It's necessary for you. And the people around you need it too. And you also need good work. You yourselves need good work to do. The vocations that you have, but also work as friends, as spouses, as children, as parents. You and I need to be able to do good work and we need to encourage one another to do good work too. And that's what a church is called to do. We are called to stir one another up to good works. And unless we do that, the fruit we bear will be something else entirely. Unless we put things in our life, habits and disciplines and structures, ways of encouraging one another, then our lives are going to go off in a different direction. One of my favorite writers is a woman named Annie Dillard. And she has this to say about how we can cultivate the structures, the disciplines, the habits in our life that will help us to become the people God wants us to be. Listen, she says, how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. If you want to bear the fruit of God's free love for you, and I want to emphasize that, what I'm talking about here, this cultivation, is not something that you can achieve or do in order to earn God's love. God's love has already been earned for you by the work and the presence and the love of Jesus. He's done it on your behalf. What you couldn't do, he did for you, and now he's given it to you. But if you want to have it bear fruit in your life, if you want to see that reflected in your words and in your actions and in your mind, then you're going to have to cultivate it. And you and I know that this is true for all kinds of things in our lives. If you want to get to your destination, if you want to arrive in the town that you're supposed to arrive in on a trip, then you're going to have to go. You have to leave your room. You have to go out the door and get in the car. You have to go. You can't just wish you were there. You can't just want to be there. You have to look it up on Google Maps and you actually have to make the trip. You have to go. If you want to have in your life physical health, then you're actually going to have to do it. You're going to have to eat better. You're going to have to find ways of exercising that work for you. You can't just want to be more healthy. You actually have to cultivate it. You can't just want to pass a test. You actually have to study. You have to know the material. If you and I want to have the fruit of God's love in our life, we have to cultivate it. And there's no better place to have that happen than in a community like this one. That's what a church is for. It is so we can stir one another up. And you know, this word that's translated stir up, it's actually a little more provocative in the original Greek. Stir up kind of sounds a little bit tame. Really, it should be kind of irritate. It should be push. It should kind of be provoke. That's the intention that's here. So part of what we are called to do, part of what you are called to do, Renaissance, is to stir one another up, to nudge each other, to make this a place that you can come into this community and you can even bring your heartbreak and your sorrow and your difficulties and you bring it in and you say, 
I am struggling and someone can be alongside you and they're stirring you up. Tell me about it. I want to hear that. Well, things are not going well. Physi my physical health is poor right now. Ah, I'm sorry. What can I do for you? Can I do anything for you? Can I help you in this situation? That's stirring one another up to love and good works. You come into this place and you say, man, I am, I'm struggling. My job isn't going as I wished it was. And somebody alongside you stirring you up. I want to hear about that. What's going on? Are you struggling financially? Is there any way we can help? Is there anything? Well, this is what's going on. That's stirring one another up to love and good works. You're manifesting to one another the free love of God and you're encouraging one another to good work. And that's cultivation and it happens in a community. And in this passage, it says that there is a temptation for you and I to not enter into that. There's a temptation for us to hold ourselves back, to not enter into community for whatever reason. It's easy not to be seen. It's very easy to pull yourself back because of shame or indifference. But this passage says, verse 25 says, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's being talked about here is that we need each other. You need the people around you encouraging you, nudging you. Don't give up. God's love is there for you. It's present. Don't don't miss it. The encouragement here is not to make it a habit of holding yourself back. Because the more you practice something, the better you'll get at it. And you can get good at hiding yourself or pulling back or not being present. In this writer, and what I'm telling you here is don't do that. Practice the habit of encouraging one another, stirring one another up. Make it a habit that you make yourself known to others and that you're willing to do the same. That's the habit you need to cultivate. Now, I'm gonna make this a little bit more uh, specific. There's all kinds of things that you could cultivate. We could go in a lot of different directions here. Cultivating habits and practices of prayer or cultivating hospitality. But I'm gonna be a little bit different here. I'm gonna talk about practicing or cultivating presence the presence of God. How can you cultivate the presence of God in your life? It's what you need. It's the thing that can bring you, his presence can bring you his love and the good work that you need. And so how can you cultivate that presence? And I'm gonna look at this passage with us just for a second, verses 19, 20, and 21, and show you how what is being cultivated here is God bringing you into his presence. That he's removing all the obstacles in order for you to be with him, to not hold yourself back, but instead God pulling you into his presence. And that whole uh, trajectory or narrative that I just read from verses 19 on that we're gonna look at, it's all, I think you'll see it, there's some movement there. You can't stand still. Don't stay in your seat. It's God pulling you towards him. So let's begin in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You should have confidence to enter into the holy places. That means God's presence. That nothing bars the door for you. You have full access. I have a friend right now who is the substitute bassist for Hamilton. You know, the Broadway show that nobody can get tickets to? Well, my friend Jay can get tickets to Hamilton because he plays bass there. And so when the day comes when he gets me a ticket, I hope it's coming soon. He's going to hand me that ticket and it's going to have the right barcode on it and it's going to have the right date and it's going to have the right address and I'm going to go up and I'm going to be confident. I'm not going to wait outside. 
I'm not going to be afraid that they're not going to let me in. I've got a ticket. I can have confidence. In just a few hours, actually shorter than that, in just a few minutes, I'm going to go over to Christian's house. I'm going to go there with my family. And am I going to stand on the porch and wonder if I'm going to go in or not? Am I going to wait out there? No. I'm going to go right in with confidence. I'm going to head right in. I'm going to go to the refrigerator. I'm going to open. I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to go in with confidence. I know that there's soup on the stove. Michelle already told me. I'm going to grab a bowl and put it on with confidence. Why? Because I know I'm invited. Because I know that with love, there's been an invitation extended to me. I belong there because of their love for me. Now listen, you should have confidence that God's love is for you. It says it here, by the blood of Jesus. There is no greater confidence that you should have than Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you so that you can come into God's presence and God's presence then can begin to cultivate in you all the things that you are made for, love and good works. This is a passage, even this specific verse is pulling you in. Don't stand still, don't wait. Verse 20, there's even more movement. Verse 20 says, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, the door was barred to God's presence until Jesus opened it. And it's put in a very stark way here, isn't it? Through his flesh. That's a doorway that you could not have opened, but Jesus could have, and he did. When Jesus died on the cross, it took the record of your sins, the Bible tells us, and it put them all aside. Jesus took it onto himself and he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that you and I might come into his presence and begin to cultivate all the things that we were made for, love and good works. You and I are invited into his presence. Verse 21, one more movement verse here. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. You can't stand still. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That beautiful image of coming in and being clean and washed, not by what you do, but by what he's done. But here's what happens. You have to cultivate it. You have to come into his presence. You can't wait for it to happen or hope it will happen or wish it will happen. You have to respond to that free gift that he's given you. And so to even be more specific and more practical, I wanna offer two ways for us now that we can come into the presence of God and cultivate it so that the fruit that we bear are those miracles. And the two that I'm gonna talk about are things that happen in this service. Lots of things that could happen outside here in the groups that I know Renaissance has, your own disciplines of prayer, the work that you do, lots of ways to cultivate God's presence. I'm just gonna talk about two that happen here on Sunday. The first is in singing, and the second is in the Lord's Supper. So first, how can you cultivate the presence of God? How can you cultivate it in your life by singing? Well, I chose singing as one of those things where you can cultivate God's presence because the Bible is filled with singing. From beginning to end, and I mean the beginning, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, I think you can make a really strong case that the first words that anybody says in the Bible besides God, the first human words are a song because Adam sees Eve and do you know what he says? He says, surely this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And if that's not a song lyric, I don't know what is. 
This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sings out and why? In response to a beautiful gift that God has given him. Now, the first description of singing that's literally given in the Bible is in Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, the people have been taken out of slavery in Egypt, in bondage, having to do with all, all the things that would make them God's people. And they are taken out and given freedom and brought to the promised land. And the first thing that they do is sing. They sing in praise to God. We could look at a lot of other places that talk about singing in the Bible, but those two will suffice for now because they are what you and I do when we come here and gather together with one another and sing. We're singing in response to God for the beautiful things that he's given us. And we're singing in response to God for him setting us free and giving us his salvation. And that's what happens when you sing. You're making those things alive in your life. There's something special that happens in music. There's something really powerful that happens when we sing together. It's a really odd thing to do, actually, to get together and sing together, isn't it? This will be the only time this week that you get together with a bunch of people and sing, right? But it's an odd thing, but it's a beautiful thing, too. And it's a powerful thing, too, because things happen when you sing. You learn things in a different way. Like, I could say to you all right now, you know, Jesus is a faithful friend to you. And his love for you will never, ever end his care for you is always going to be there eternally. That's just the way it's going to be. And I hope that you would receive that truth and I hope it would bear fruit in your life. And I think in some ways it can, but if we sing that, it's even more powerful. You know, can we, would you sing that with me right now? I mean, would you sing with me right now? I mean, really, will you sing with me? You're, you're kind of laughing nervously. I know you think it's going to get real awkward right now and it might because we are really going to sing right now, but it'll, only be really awkward if you guys don't sing with me. And I'm up here all by myself singing. So will you do it with me? Yes. All right, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to sing a line out to you, and then you're going to sing it back to me. All right? He is our guide and friend. He is our guide and friend. To us he'll condescend. His love will never end. His love will never end. Alleluia, amen. Alleluia, amen. You guys sound really good. <laughs> so something just happened there a little bit. And what happened was not that we made God's presence come into this room because God was already present here. What happened was we cultivated something. We sang together, and when you sing together, something happens. And when you cultivate God's presence like that, it makes something a little bit more alive about who God is in your life. And part of the reason that we sing together as a Christian community, part of the reason Christians have been singing for 2,000 years is because the Bible tells us it's such a terrific way for us to cultivate the presence of God with one another and for one another. Singing teaches you a lot about who God is and what a church is. Think about this. We just sang, and what was necessary for us to sing together were all the high voices and all the low voices. We complimented each other. Some of us sang a little louder and some of us a little quieter. If we worked on it a little bit longer, we could begin to sing harmony. 
Singing teaches us about God's kingdom and who God is, that we need one another, that we need every single voice. And part of what you learn together when you sing together is also that there are voices that are not here that need to be here. Singing teaches you something about evangelism, that you and I need to invite people into this place, not only so that they can be a part of the music that you're making, but also so that you can sing to them so that you can bring people into this place and sing to them the truth that his love will never end, his love is for them, and God's glory is for them, and they can bear a different kind of fruit in their life. You need to sing about those miracles to them. So that's one of the ways that you can cultivate God's presence. Today and in the weeks to come, I want you to sing. When the music team is up here, sing loud. Listen for the voices of the people around you. Listen for the way that God is making a beautiful harmony in this community. So that's the first way. That's the first way to cultivate God's presence is by singing. The second is by the Lord's Supper. When you get together and you celebrate the Lord's Supper, that is a terrific way to cultivate God's presence in your life so that it makes a difference, so that real fruit is born. Now, One of the ways that the Lord's Supper is often introduced in some churches is we remember that on the night that our Lord is betrayed, it's remembering the Last Supper. Now, what do you remember about the Last Supper? There's a lot of things that you could remember. You could remember that Jesus is somebody who is a great king, but was willing to become a slave for his friends. Do you remember he washed their feet? The night before he was betrayed, he washed the feet of his disciples. You remember that that's the king that we serve. He's that humble. We remember also that he is faithful even when others are not faithful to him. You remember they all left. They ran away. Some denied, some betrayed, but he was faithful to them. He served them and broke bread for them. You also remember that the sign of his love for us is his body and his blood, that broken bread, that poured out cup, is a sign of how great his love is for us. Those are all things that you could remember and a lot more too. But what I want you to cultivate today as you come forward to the Lord's Supper is I want you to cultivate the idea of the Lord's Supper being an interruption in your life, an intrusion, something breaking in and moving you to a place that you wouldn't have gone otherwise. I said before that my wife and son and I, we went to the Piedmont region of Italy and one of the best meals we had was overlooking this vineyard. We ate raw veal. (laughs) It was wonderful. We drank this wonderful, rich wine and the wine was so good and we found out that this area was so known for its wine that we went next door to one of the shops and we bought six bottles of wine. There was a woman there, she helped us pick out these great wines and she said, all right, we're gonna ship these back for you, but... These two, you can drink in the next year if you have to. But these four, you have to wait. You have to let these age. These are gonna be terrific if you'll wait two or three or four years. So we're trying to wait. (laughs) We've got those bottles in the bottom of our closet and we're trying to be patient. But you know, when we do open those bottles, when we open up one of those bottles and we pop the cork out, You know what's going to happen? This is a little weird to think about, but hang with me here. When we open up that cork, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a little bit of air from Piedmont, Italy in our living room then. You know? That cork is going to come out, and the air that was trapped in it when they put the cork in is going to come out, and it's going to waft all around our apartment. The smell of that place that we were in. 
the scent of another country. It's a place where they do things differently than where we do them here. They speak a different language and they have a different rule and a different law. It's all different. That's the same thing with the wine here, the Lord's Supper here. This comes from a different country, a different place. And the law there is love. And the king there wanted to prove that law so much that he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life to prove his love for us. And now, as you drink this wine, you're gonna cultivate something. That there is an intrusion in your life. There's a different scent. There is something different here. And it's gonna interrupt the normal course of your life. It should. And what you can practice when you gather together and celebrate the Lord's Supper is the acknowledgement that this king is that good and that faithful. He is that trustworthy and he is that much of a friend to you. When you come forward for the Lord's Supper, what you're really cultivating is this thing inside of you that would have gone one way had he not come in and intruded with his love, that he didn't intoxicate you with this other kind of wine. So friends, as you come forward, as you receive this gift that God has given you, realize that it is a gift it is a gracious gift from our God through Jesus Christ and by his spirit. It is free for you, but you need to cultivate it in your life. You want to bear the fruits of his spirit. You want the miracles to come up in your life. And I'm telling you, it can happen. He is that good to you. He is that faithful. Let's stir one another up to love and good works. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you do not leave us in our normal course of life, but you pull us into your presence. And I pray that you would help every single person here do that, to cultivate your presence in their life. We give you thanks that it's a free gift, that you've done everything that is necessary for us to come into your presence. And now help us to cultivate that. Help us to draw near and help us to bear the fruit of your love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.